Greetings, Minecrafters, and welcome to uh, our discussion on we're doing a, a, like a little mini-series here on Adult Children of Alcoholics, or ACOAs, and this is part three. We're going to talk about why we, myself included, often judge ourselves without mercy after growing up in an addicted household. So, my name is Kimberly Quinn, and it is my honor and pleasure to have this chat with you today on this ultra-important topic. And it's interesting because I think, and I have to give Janet Geringer Woitzitz a, a shout out. She's the author of Adult Children of Alcoholics. She and Claudia Black, as I mentioned in the other two episodes, were the pioneer power women of the 80s when it comes to adult children or the adult children of alcoholics movement, I guess, for, for a better way to say it. And I had the pleasure of seeing Claudia speak at St. Mike's. Um, our whole ACOA group kind of went over there standing room only and she was just absolutely amazing shedding light on so much and so in janet's book adult children of alcoholics i think she has i think it's 13 sort of statements that you know of, of behavior that acoas do and obviously like anything you might relate to, to a couple of them a few of them a bunch of them maybe even all of them um the, for for people though uh who grew up in the acoa or, or addicted household some might fit you and some might not and that's okay and there might be some overlap stuff. I know not all of them, not all of them fit me. The one we're talking about today, I could kind of put my face next to it because I I just have judged myself without mercy most of my life until you know I I did the work and kind of um, you know learn learn to uh, learn to see my own value and to love and accept myself. And then we're we're gonna do just all kinds of discussion about that. They'll think about when ACOAs judge themselves or ourselves without mercy. Think of why. Why is because of shame. So just a quick reminder what shame is and how it differs from guilt. So shame is an action word that says, I made a mistake, right? I made a mistake. It has a job. So the job is to keep us from, you know, doing bad things like spending, spreading vicious rumors, you know, punching somebody in the schnozzy, you know, slashing someone's tires kind of severe, but you get the idea. And so, you know, guilt keeps us from doing those things. It has a job and then hopefully we make good on it, whatever. So guilt says I made a mistake, whereas shame says I am the mistake. Shame says I am the mistake. And so shame is that excruciating, and the word is excruciating, probably the most excruciating emotion a human being can possibly feel because it's about feeling defective, flawed, you know, not good enough in whatever gamut of ways, like damaged goods, basically. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about shame. So it's no big surprise that we, that we grew up not feeling good enough. I definitely didn't because shame was projected onto us basically from the very second we entered the world, you know, like we were born, there's the shame right there. And so most, you know, um, shame is so prevalent in addicted homes and because it's so excruciating, people don't want it. And so parents, and we're saying often unknowingly project shame onto, well, each other. And also which gives people more shame when the dad's you know, projecting onto the mom or the mom or the mom or whatever. And they also project it on the kids. So it's very important to also sort of know what projection is because it's an unconscious defense mechanism, at least in the Freudian sense, which means if it's unconscious, 
these parents, these addicted parents or enabling parents, also addicted, actually, that's also in a form of addiction, is, uh, are not aware they're doing it. So does it give them a pass? No. Does it help explain? Yes. About how the cycle keeps continuing because it's like hot potato. I don't want it. You have it. I don't want it. You have it. And so shame is jumping around all over an alcoholic family and lands on top of two-year-olds and four-year-olds and eight-year-olds and teenagers and everything else because nobody wants to carry and experience shame. And, you know, so that said, it makes perfect sense that, you know, those of us who grew up in an in addicted house, and again, I'll just to, to qualify, um, you can, you may have grown up in a dysfunctional home that did not have the substance use, and you may find a lot of this pertaining to you for sure, though in an addicted house, shame is, you know, the foundation, it's like the bricks, everything else is built upon the not feeling good enough, the defective feeling, of course, is usually a quite strong thread of trauma through there too. Though, it, it, so here's the thing. It doesn't, it's no big surprise that we grew up not feeling good enough. We were, you know, criticized a lot. And this is shame talking. When people are being critical, it's, it's about them and not us. But of course, a child is egocentric. And so a, a child doesn't have a way to filter that out as this isn't about me. It's about you, mommy. You know, when you're two or four or six or eight or 16 or even 20, you probably don't have that ability to realize, you know, to sort of get that all that criticizing says everything about them and zero about you. So uh, Janet says in her book, Adult Children of Alcoholics, which is an oldie but goodie, it's 30, I don't know, it came out like, I think like a late 80s, maybe I'm guessing, uh, mid, late 80s. But anyway, it's an oldie but goodie, I would strongly encourage it. So anyway, she says with, as far as adult children of alcoholics, judging ourselves at our mercy, she says, when you were a child, there was no way that you were good enough. Amen, sister, because that is the truth. Then she says, you were constantly criticized. You believed that your family would be better off without you because you were the cause of the trouble. You may have been criticized for things that made no sense. Even if you weren't such a rotten, oh, I'm sorry, in quotes, if you weren't such a rotten kid, I wouldn't have to drink. It makes no sense, but if you hear something often enough for a long enough period of time, you will end up believing it. As a result, you internalize these criticisms as negative self-feelings. They remain even though no one is saying them to you anymore. I am going to repeat that. They remain even though no one is saying them to you anymore. Yeah, that is just it's that was a very strong little blurb I just read there. So if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to guess that more than likely there's a reason that you grew up in a, in, you know, an alcoholic or addicted home or again, a dysfunctional home. So I'm just going to kind of repeat that we're not talking about as compared to a perfect family because there isn't such a thing. Right. And so I, in the last episode, I think it was the last episode, I brought up Donna Winnicott's idea of the good enough mother. So this was in the fifties. We didn't say good enough parent. We said good enough mother. So now I'm going to switch it to good enough parents. So we're not talking about a perfect family since that doesn't exist. We are talking about um, anyone who did not have the good enough parents. So it's very important to realize that the bar is still high enough for the good enough parent, which, which means, you know, basically paraphrase that the majority of the time, the majority of the time, your most your, all of your needs were met the majority of the time. When you were hungry, angry, sick, or tired, somebody picked you up right away. When you're hungry, angry, sick, or tired, you know, somebody held you. You were listened to and validated the far, you know, the high majority of the time. 
doesn't mean if mom had a tired moment after walking in from her job that, you know, she, honey, can you hang on for a couple seconds? You know, that, so, the, so you, you got, and so, and Donna Winnicott would say the children who grew up with the good enough parent ended up happy, well-adjusted, successful, however you want to define that. So we're talking about those of us who grew up without that, without, um, you know, the major having our needs met the majority of the time. So you may have had to be concerned about a younger sibling when you were six years old yourself. You may have had to be concerned about a parent when you were six, eight, 10, 12, 15, 17 years old yourself, taking on roles of caretaking emotionally, physically, whatever, way, way, way too soon. And we also grew up with tons and tons and tons of shame being spewed at us, again, often unknowingly, sending all kinds of signals, messages that we did not, that we weren't good enough, even if you could have been a straight A student, because here's the thing, in an alcoholic family, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Might have been straight A's, might have been in every sport, might have been, you know, the best daughter or son anybody could have possibly been. But because we grew up with sick people in charge of us, you know, that in 450, it gets you a Red Bull, all those achievements. It just does not work that way. It isn't logical. And so Janet says in her in her book, she says, there is no way for you to meet the standards of perfection, the standards of perfection that you have internalized from childhood. You're always falling short of the mark you have set for yourself. As a child, whatever you did was not quite good enough. No matter how hard you tried, you should have tried harder. If you got an A, it should have been an A+. Plus. You were never good enough. I'm going to say that again because this is going right through me right now. You were never good enough. I have a client who told me that his mother was so demanding that when he was that when he was in basic training, he found that he found the sergeants loose. Oh wow. So this became a part of you, who you are, a part of the way you see yourself. The shoulds and should nots became paralyzing for a while. This is just so true. And and I I remember getting good grades in school. I was kind of like lasagna noodle because my ADHD. Though it just it just was never good enough. You know, if I got straight A's or I remember in, as a freshman in high school, I had like a 96 briefly because I'm interest-based nervous system. And like, it's like, oh, you know, they said good, good job, signed the thing, sent it back, didn't matter. Captain of the captain of the ski team, played all the sports, wasn't good enough, just was not good enough. Um, and then she goes on to say, one aspect of how this is how some people, one aspect of of this is how some people are able to successfully maintain a negative self-image when there is evidence to the contrary. This is how it works. If anything goes wrong, it is your responsibility. Wow. I mean, and it's interesting because if, if that was your dynamic as a child, it just goes right often, most often, goes right through to adulthood. Um, and I, I just can remember just feeling like, okay, how did I, what did I do? What did I, what did I say wrong? How did I, you know, kind of just assuming it was my fault and responsibility and being aware of not knowing where it came from. Because there's also something called infantile amnesia from ages zero to three, roughly, where we don't remember what happened then. We can think we do, but we didn't. We probably, somebody told us something, we saw pictures, saw a DVD, whatever. For, for the most part, we don't remember things under three. But think about what a wild life a two-and-a-half-year-old has. They're speaking in full sentences. They're telling you about, about all their life, and yet there's not a memory. So there's so much stuff in the vault that was said to us, also good stuff, of course, before then, that can leak into adulthood because also it becomes conditioned along the way. 
And Janet says, somehow you should have done it differently and things would have been better. Anything that goes right has to do with something other than yourself. Wow. So true for so many of us. Anything that goes right has to do with something other than yourself. It was going to happen that way anyway. Or if it uh, is very clear that you were the one who was responsible for a positive outcome, you dismissed it with, you dismissed it with, oh, that was easy. That was of little consequence. And that is so, that's the other part of this dynamic is that when we did do something good or worthy or, you know, an accomplishment, we have to diminish it. Oh, it was easy. We got, I got lucky. I had all this help from so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. Really, they, they, it was their idea. That kind of crap. God, I've, I've done that so much in my life. It's better now, but wow, did I do that for a really long time. Just just not even being able to, to see that something was um, you know, an accomplishment. You know, this isn't about being falsely, or I'm sorry, genuinely modest. It's not about, you know, having that genuine sort of humility. It's really more of a a distortion of reality because we become so critical of ourselves because that's what's been mirrored for us from the ground up, that we couldn't possibly be the brains behind that idea, that creativity, that artwork or that teamwork or that whatever the, you know, the project did really well because we took charge and did, you know, 80 times more work than the rest of the team. That just, it isn't about, uh, it isn't about a genuine sense of humility. It's a distortion of reality that we've, that we sort of were conditioned to believe from the ground up. So obviously in addition to judging ourselves without mercy, just being so incredibly hard on ourselves, most days, right? That was definitely me for years. It's also, this is also why obviously it can be very difficult for the ACOA to accept compliments. Just really, really hard. It's like, it's like the computer saying does not compute. You know, it's just not in our hard drive that, that this could, this good thing could possibly be true about us. And uh, Janet goes on to say that So this is really not a sense of humility, but a distortion of reality. It feels safer to keep a negative self-image because you are used to it. Because you are used to it. Accepting praise for being competent means changing the way you see yourself and means that maybe you can judge yourself a little less harshly and be a little more accepting and say, you ready? Here we go. Here's the new mantra. I made that mistake. However, I am not a mistake. I'm going to say that again. I made that mistake. However, I am not that mistake. You know, interestingly, you know, this judgment can be so harsh. We can be so harsh on ourselves with schoolwork and holding ourselves up to like this, this perfect bar, which as we know, doesn't exist. Having to be everybody's everything at work and all that. This, and it, it also can very be very ACOA to actually get legit sick, maybe with the Rona or, you know, with the flu and then end up feeling like you've made some kind of mistake or blew it being sick because now people have to take care of you. Think of how irrational that is. The, the, The judgment on ourselves and yet it's okay for other people to make mistakes. We just become very, very, very good at criticizing ourselves. That is shame internalized because we are looking for confirmation from what we already believe to be true, which is confirmation bias. I talked about that 
in another episode. We are looking for what we've been conditioned to see and believe about ourselves and start to actually actively judge ourselves the way we've been judged externally. It's a it's a it's a vicious 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 cycle that needs to be turned around. And the only way that's going to happen is to actively work at learning to value yourself and also to stay away from these rigid rigid vocabulary such as should ought to um that's rid that those are rigid words shoulda coulda woulda and to to be more empathetic and compassionate with yourself realizing to remember you don't want to strive for the perfect bar even in like recovering from all this stuff because that makes no sense to be kind and gentle and to realize that you were a child when all this happened you were a child and to undo this toxic internal dialogue that's in the vault okay is going to take a while and that's okay so and remember also that these podcasts are not meant to be um in the place of professional treatment merely informational and i also want to applaud you if you're listening because you've had the courage to take the steps to look at all this scary stuff so yeah i am again please especially since this was a big one was a was a big one for me for years and years and years about ACOAs judging ourselves so harshly without mercy and that's it so keep listening this is Kimberly Quinn signing off from northern vermont have a mindful and less judgmental day <laughs>